of God. You know, God's not crazy. We're not talking about God being crazy. We've been talking about his ravished heart. Basically, the, just his, the passion and the desire that's in the heart of God for us. And what we've been learning from the word of God, if, if you've been journeying with us, you know this, that we've been learning what's in the heart of God, that God is not a distant God. God's not cold. He's not unfeeling. He's not grumpy. He's not angry. He is passionately in love with us, that he created us because he desired relationship, that he went to the cross because he desired us, and that he's coming back soon because he wants to be with us. And that's what's burning in the heart of God. He's moved with compassion at our brokenness. He's filled with joy. He desires us, and his mercy triumphs over judgment. We've been looking at this for a couple months. Today, we're going to start a series called Sinless. And uh, anyone who's heard me preach, usually, anyone who's taken level one usually goes, ooh. That's usually their reaction. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Appreciate that. And um, I would consider this, this message and this series, we're going to go into this for about a month or so, this series that we're starting today, I, I think of it like a, the sequel of the ravished heart of God. Because see, God didn't just love us and desire us. He did something he did something to show his love for us. Where this world has brokenness, where our own lives have brokenness, God has done something to fix the problem because he loves us. And I'm going to show you something in the word of God today. We're going to look at Hebrews 10. I'm going to take you through the scriptures here. And I need you to just stick with me, okay? Because I'm going to take you, I'm going to walk you through some verses, and I'm going to show you what the Word says. And when I get to my main point, I think you'll see what's going on here. But it'll take just a few minutes, all right? So just flow with me, and we're going to see what the Lord has done because He loves us. And so, Hebrews chapter 10, Father, we just pray again that you would reveal yourself to us, your heart, your love. And you would show us the all-sufficient blood of Jesus. Amen. All right, so chapter 10 of Hebrews. If you're not there, don't worry about it. <laughs> Just look up there. Verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very images of the things, can never, everyone say never, never. with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach Perfect, say perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. <clears throat> there is a lot in this text here that's pretty heady and, and allusions to the Old Testament, I'm not even really going to go into too much. I want you to just notice just what he says right here in the text here, what God is saying through this book. Notice that he says that back in the Old Testament, they made these sacrifices for sin, you know, animal sacrifices. These, these, the blood of these animals were shed. And, and he says here that in verse 1 that they could never, never, Make someone perfect. Right? Just never make anyone perfect. And that in, in verse 4 he says, the blood, in, the blood of bulls and goats 
It's not even possible for them to take away sin. And what this author is trying to communicate is that there's this problem inside people called sin. Sin is a real thing. And it really is just any area where we are disconnected from God. And a lot of times we see the manifestation of sin, we see the effects of sin, we see the symptoms of sin. All I have to do is turn on the news and I see the symptoms of sin. People say, oh, I don't believe in sin. My goodness, have you just watched the news lately, right? People shooting each other and injustice and all that. But what about the brokenness in our relationships? What about the, you know, the adultery in our, in our, in our, in, in, in our community, you know, in our marriages? What about divorce? What about the brokenness that's going on? Or what about the symptoms? You know, notice that he says right here that there's a consciousness of sin in verse 2. There's a consciousness of sin. You know, your conscience, your conscience is like your physical nerves. They, they feel something that's wrong. You know, think about it. If you didn't have physical nerves, when you burn your hand, you wouldn't even know it. Burn your hand, wouldn't feel it. Stub your toe, you wouldn't feel it. Some of you are thinking for a second that might be good. What happens when you cut your hand off, bump into something, you're like bleeding, you know? Body parts are falling off, you wouldn't even know it. Your consciousness, your conscience, is this internal thing that God has put inside of us to tell us what is right and what is wrong. People say, I don't believe in God. Yeah, you do. I don't believe in morality. Yeah, your conscience is proof that there is a right and wrong, and that we know it. And people go, no, no, no. See, you can, you can lie, you can like shove down your conscience, but the reality is, you know, you can say, no, it's not wrong to lie, it's not wrong to cheat, but what happens when I lie to you? What happens when I cheat and I steal from you? Then you go, that's not fair, right? Your conscience, you know, your conscience is the proof that we all know that there's something that's not right. Because the moment you do something wrong to me, hey, that's not right. We know, and we know there's a consciousness of sin. The reality is, is that anxiety and shame and guilt and, and this consciousness of sin, all manner, all manner of just emotional, relational junk that we carry, baggage that we carry, anxiety and fears of rejection and fears of failure and all this kind of stuff that we harbor. A lot of times we just internalize it, carry it. Nobody sees it, do they? Nobody knows, but you know, you know you have fear that shuts you down from keeping you from being the person you were created to be. You know you walk around with some messed up ways of thinking that shut you down. You know that. We all, around here, we're all pretty honest about that. And people try to hide it and do all this stuff, religious stuff, or whatever they try to do to basically try to make themselves feel better. But our conscience is the thing that tells us there's something wrong. If I have pain in my body, oh man, I, I should go to the doctor, Right? Right, that's what we start doing, right? Oh man, something's going on in my body. I, need, I should go get that checked out, right? Your conscience is trying to tell you that. And what this author is telling you, and, and there's another place in the scriptures that say the law, the law could never make anyone perfect. And these animal sacrifices, it says right here, could never make anyone perfect. Why? The Bible says in, in Galatians that, that the law was meant to be a tutor, a tutor, a teacher, to bring us to Christ. To show us our need for Jesus. To show us there's something wrong. Why the conscience? Why a law? Why the Old Testament? To show us something's wrong. Something's broken in this world. That divorce and adultery and, 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 and sexual sin and, and greed doesn't work. And law and bureaucracy and rules don't work. How's that working for us? 
in America. Let's throw in some more laws there. We'll just find more ways to break them, right? How's that working? It doesn't work, right? And the whole point that's going on here in these verses is that these sacrifices could never make anyone perfect. Now, now let's just look right here in the text. We all know that words are governed by the meaning that the author intends to communicate, right? And we all know that these words are, are defined within the context of something. So you say, I wonder what he means by perfect. What do he means, right? Verse one, these sacrifices could never make anyone perfect. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? We could all like do a little, well, I think perfect means this. No, 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 what does this guy mean? Look right here, perfect, perfect. Well, Number one, verse, t- verse two, for then there would have, the, uh, I'm sorry, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. If somebody's perfect, there's no need for a sacrifice. No, no more need for blood to be shed because, why? Keeps going. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. What does he mean by perfect? He means sins washed, cleansed, purified, Gone. That's what he means by perfect. Look, look at what he says right here in the, in the, in the verse 4. For it is not possible the bulls, blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Right? Now, now, hey, he's talking about moral, spiritual perfection, being right with God. He's talking, but like I said, we, you, and me, you and I may not like necessarily be like, oh, I'm, I'm sinning. Some, some people, like I said, they don't, they don't really realize what they do is wrong. But our conscience does. And our conscience tells us, well, why do I feel shame? Why do I always just feel dirty? Why do I feel crummy? Why do I just feel like a broken person? Why don't my relationships working? There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Listen to what he says here. If a person is perfect, sin has been taken away. The word here, it's a metaphor for forgiveness, but the word literally means to be removed from, cut off. Fired. It's like you had a bad boss and that boss is out. Now you got a good one, right? He's saying that when a person has been made perfect, they're purified, they're washed, and the sin is totally taken away and removed. And what is the result? There's no more need for sacrifice. No more need for blood to be shed. And why is that? Listen to what it says right here in verse 2. Because once they were purified, they would have no more consciousness of sin. That is what perfection looks like. If I wash my hands, if my hands are all dirty, man, you, you know, you ever work in, in gardening or, you know, like under a car or something like that, or, you know, I've never done those things. Okay, no, I'm just messing. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm saying? I changed the oil or something, but you know, okay, the, your hands are like filthy, right? You know, your hands are dirty and the mud is crusted to you. That oil sticks to you. you. And you go and you wash your hands and you scrub your hands. And then they're clean, right? Or you get all dirty doing something. You go and you take a shower. Are you thinking about the dirt anymore on your hands? No, once it's purified, once it's washed, there's no more consciousness of it, is there? It's done. And so what this author is telling us is when, that, that these sacrifices kept reminding the people in the Old Testament that there was still dirt in their soul. There was still something diseased there. There was still something wrong. There was still something dirty. And that's the reality is a lot of times in, our, in, in churches, in religion, 
Things are just there to remind us. And how do we like that? Hey, anyone like that? Just to remind us that we're broken. Yeah, you're like, Dave, I don't like you talking about this, right? I'm just set, trying to set the stage for something. But how, how do we like that? Just you know, rituals, religious rituals, laws, things that, that, are, that are meant to make sure that I remember that there's something wrong with me. There's something broken in me. How do you like that, you know? The guilt, the shame, things like that. Oh, there's something wrong with me. But if, but if we were perfected, it says, if we were perfected, sin taken away, washed, cleansed, and listen, no more consciousness of sin. Because you'd be clean. You'd be clean. You'd be washed. You'd be done. All right. Verse five. Therefore, when he came into the world, he's talking about Jesus, he... Jesus said, sacrifice and offering did not, uh, you did not desire, he's talking to the Father, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. This is from Psalm 40, it's a prophetic psalm. Jesus is saying this to the Father, it's a prophetic kind of a thing. And Jesus is literally saying, Father, you didn't want sacrifice, you didn't want the animal sacrifices. Well then why did he do it? As a reminder of our sin, show us there's something wrong. What did God delight in? It says right here, sacrifices. He doesn't even want them. You take no, you, you, don't, you don't even get any pleasure from animal sacrifices, rituals, human efforts to make ourselves right with God. You don't even take any pleasure in that. So Jesus says, you prepared a body for me, right? Jesus, the son of God, the only begotten son of God, became a human being, right? Born of a virgin, and he literally gave his body as a sacrifice for us. Yeah? He gave his body on the cross as a sacrifice. That's what he means by the will of God. Look at there in verse 7. So Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill prophecy and to do the will of God. What's the will of God? Oh, well, Jesus like obeyed God and, and he never sinned. No, that's not what it says though. Amen. Jesus is the sinless one. He never sinned. He's perfect, but that's not what it's talking about. It says that he did the will of God. What's the will of God here in this context? That he offered his own body. That's the will of God. Jesus did what animal sacrifices could never do. He pleased the Father. Jesus' sacrifice pleased the Father. Jesus' sacrifice is what God wanted. Jesus' sacrifice is, is the will of God. Listen to what it says in verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the law, the animal sacrifices, takes away the first that he may establish the second. What's the second? The will of God. And he clarifies it in verse 10. By that will, whose will? The Father's will. The will to do what? that he would be satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So where the blood of goats and, 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 and couldn't, do any, couldn't do it, Jesus gave his own body, shed his own blood as a sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God, to do the will of God. Jesus' sacrifice means that the will of God has already been accomplished. He's already pleased in what Jesus did. And that will establishes something new. It's called a new covenant. 
And notice that it says he did it once for all. He's not offering his body lots and lots of times. He died one time, right? The sacrifice of God who became man and shed his own blood died and on the third day rose again. And he explains this here in verse 11. He says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Well, again, it says again, which can never take away sin. And so he's saying, man, people are still striving and sweating and working and trying to get God to earn, uh, try, trying to get God to like them and try to earn God's favor and trying to be perfect by these sacrifices and by these laws. And he says these priests are standing continually doing this, but it'll never take away sin. In verse 12, but this man, right? But Jesus, this man, who's the great high priest, This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins, forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, right, he gave himself as the sacrifice, shed his own blood, one time, forever. It says this, verse 14, for by one offering, He has perfected, everyone say perfected, forever those who are being sanctified. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You have to put aside your experience for a second. You need to put aside your religious upbringing for a second. What does the Bible say? This is not a novel. This is not a storybook. This is not a textbook. This is God's word. Amen? The revelation of who God is. What does it say? It says that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the blood that he shed... If you put your faith in him, it says you have been perfected. You see that? It says that. Did anyone else see that? You got that in your Bible? It says that, right? You say that up on the screen? Yeah. What? what, Would you look at that? By one offering, he has done what? Perfected forever. One sacrifice was sufficient to do that. Now, didn't we see the definition of perfection, right? Verse 1, 2, 3, 4. Didn't we see what it said? It says if you're perfect, pure, washed, cleansed, no more sin. It says that your sin would be taken away, gone, cut off, removed, dead, fired. And it says that if you've been perfected, you'd have no more consciousness of sin. No more consciousness of sin. See, this word in the Greek means complete, perfect. And in the grammar, like, the, the, you know, like we've got the present tense and the past tense and the future tense, right? We all know that. In the Greek, they had a tense called the perfect 
tense. That's kind of cool, right? The perfect tense for the perfect word over here. And it, in the perfect tense, it's not a past tense action that like happens sometime. Oh, yeah, like you were, you were perf- perfected. It's actually way more than that. It's the perfect tense. And the perfect tense grammatically refers to something, a past event that carries on into the future. The best way to understand it is to think of the concept of permanence. Just throw that word right in there. He has permanently perfected forever. A one-time event that continues indefinitely into the future. And he made sure we understood it by the perfect tense in the Greek and by the word forever. What does that mean? That if you're in Christ... If you've put your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, that his blood has washed you, taken away sin, and you are now holy, pure, washed, perfect. And there is no need to have a consciousness of sin. Because if you've washed your hands of dirt and they're clean, why are you worried about the dirt? Because if you're cured of cancer, why are you worried about the cancer? Your consciousness is to tell you there's something wrong. But the will of God has been done. It's finished. There's no other sacrifice to be made. There's no other work to be done. He's finished it. The price has been paid. You been made perfect, holy, sanctified. In fact, he says it right here again, or before that. He says it right before that in the other verse. He said in verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified. Have been sanctified. It means to be holy, cleansed, washed, set apart unto God. Holy God's. Holy gods to be taken out of what is dirty and common and to be transferred into the realm of God's holiness and to be his and to belong to him and to be used by him. And it says right here, you, that by that will, we have been sanctified. Funny, it's perfect tense again. Perfect tense. It doesn't say we will be sanctified. It doesn't say that, Right? You can go become Greek scholars and find out for yourself. It doesn't say you might be. It doesn't say you should be. It doesn't say you will be. It says you have been. By what? By your own human effort? By religious rituals? Or by that will? That God's, listen to me. Sin is a real thing. Sin is a real thing. And God, Jesus actually said he's the great physician and he came to heal people. Yes, he healed them physically. But, but, but say, he, ta- he called sin a disease. He talked about sin like it was a disease because God hates it. And he hates that it's destroying people and destroying the world he created and keeping people from himself. And he's burning with jealous, passionate, compassionate love to redeem people to himself. And the reality is that sin is a poison and a disease and it's destroying us. See, you know, the problem with AIDS, right, is that it undermines your immune system, Right? The problem with cancer is that your own cells have like mutated and like killing you, right? That is what sin does. It, it cuts at the very root 
of who we are in, in, in our spirit, cutting us off from the life of God. And like I said, all the other, you know, all the things like anxiety even, or even like, you know, lust, those are all just symptoms of a root problem. The cure has to come from the outside. We're so diseased that it's impossible, spiritually, morally speaking, for us to do good works and muster up the holiness. It's a disease that has undermined and compromised our very own immune system. There's no way we can heal ourselves by ourselves. We need a cure, and we need a cure from the outside. And God, in his mercy, because he loves us so much, said, your problem will become my problem. Right? He loves us so much that a holy God will be willing to bear sin, that a righteous God be willing to die for us. He says, I love you. So he becomes a human being. And what does he do? He takes our sin into himself. He takes our disease into himself. And he gave us his righteousness. And he did what? Cured us. What I want you to understand here is that the blood of Jesus is all sufficient and all powerful. And it's more than enough. Because when God tackles a problem, do you think that he's not smart enough to figure it out? Do you think that he's not strong enough to figure it out? Do you think he's not good enough to help you? Do you think that when God was like, hmm, yeah, that's good. I'll become a human being forever. God, man, I'll just put on a body and I'll die for sin and I'll make sure to take away two of your sins. But you got to do the rest. Do you think if God dies on a cross that he'll not deal with the problem? This is what this is saying. This is what the word of God is saying. That when God deals with the problem, he deals with it. Right? Sin. Cut off. Done. The disease in you called sin, called whatever, and all the ramifications of sin. Done. And you, the Bible says, you have been sanctified. You are holy. You are pure. You are right with God. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you are perfect in Christ. And there's no more consciousness of sin because you are cured. If you, if, if, if you have a disease and Jesus' blood is the cure, then you have been cured. That's what this is saying. If you have sin and Jesus' blood sanctifies, then you have been sanctified. That's what this is saying. That the blood of Jesus is all sufficient. That the price has been paid, the debt has been paid, the work has been finished, the will of God has been done, and you are perfect. I just want to read a few more verses here. Verse 15 to 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he said before, this is the covenant. is referring to the new and everlasting covenant Jesus did with his blood. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Listen. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission, that's the noun for the verb take away, where there is a taking away of sin, a cutting off of sin, a forgiving, a remission of sin, of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It's not needed. 
God doesn't need your penance. He doesn't need your religious rituals. He doesn't need your, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The will of God has been done and all that's left to do is believe. Let him cure you. The Bible says it's simply by trusting in the finished work of the cross. If God doesn't remember your sin anymore, you don't have to either. Did you hear me? He doesn't remember. It says it right there. He doesn't remember. There's no consciousness of your sin in the heart or the mind of God because why? He actually dealt with it. There are so many Christians who are like, well, I mean, it's like a nice idea. This is not a philosophy. This is not an idea. These are not just words on a page. He wasn't like, I'm going to pretend to die for your sins. What is this? What religion is that? It's not the Bible, right? But so many Christians feel like, well, I'm not really holy. God just like thinks I am. What, what is God an idiot? I'm sorry. But the people like, that's what we're doing. We're accusing God of not being good. He knows what he's doing. And he took our sin away. And he gave us his righteousness by his blood. And it's sufficient. And it says right there, it's done. And there's, he doesn't even remember. So therefore, guess what? You don't have to either. It's a good word, huh? Now I know, you know, people, oh, well, how come I still struggle? Yeah, we'll talk about that. You gotta stick with me. Just not today. Oh, but couldn't people use that like as a license to sin? I think they'd be, uh, I'm going to use the word again, idiots. What are you going to do? I got cured, so I got the disease again? I'm drowning, help me. And then like, yay, thanks for saving me. I'm going to go dive in the, drown again? You want to do that? You want to be like, oh, uh, God forgives me so I can just do whatever I want? (laughs) Help yourself. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's offering the cure. Can you imagine what it would feel like to know no more sin? I'll talk to you how about the, how this works. But can you imagine? Do you realize it's done? Do you realize God loves you so much that he made you right with himself? He made you holy, clean, pure? He did it just because he loves you. Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you imagine no more anxiety? I mean, none, not even like regarding your work or, or your relationships or whether someone's going to reject you. Like, do those things two connect? Those two things connect? Yes, they do. Can you imagine? No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more fear shutting you down and keeping you from the things that God has for you. Can you, re- can you imagine having power and motivation to overcome addictions, sin, disorder? I don't care, whatever you want to call it. You know, nowadays we don't call it sin, we just called a disorder you know an addiction i don't care what you want to call it if it's broken and cut off from the life of god it needs to be healed restored and that's what jesus came to do to give life and life to the fullest life abundantly do you want that it starts right here because listen when you realize that you're sinless you will be when you realize that god doesn't remember your sin you won't either this is freedom This is victory. Can you imagine what it would look like 
Do you see how this would transform how we relate to God? How many of you, you know, you mess up and you hide from people? You hide from God? Listen to what it says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let us enter with boldness. Do you realize you can come before God boldly? I'm not talking about making an excuse for my sin. I'm talking about, yeah, hey, I blew it again, God, right? I come before God to the very one who can help me. To the very one. You know, people trying to hide their sin from God. It's like, dude, he already knows, right? You know, he already knows. He's saying, I already dealt with that. Now come to me with the broken stuff and let me heal you. Come to me boldly, with confidence. Why can I be bold? Because I'm blameless. I know I'm loved. I know I'm forgiven. And it's not like, well, you know, God was like, oh, I love you guys. You know, sorry. Sorry you're it world's kind of broken. Don't know what to do about it, but I love you. No, he's like, I love you, man. I'm going to deal with this thing, right? And he's like, I love you. Come to me. Come to me with boldness. Oh, but I'm really dirty. No, you're not. You're clean. You're washed. You're accepted. The Father sees you in the righteousness of Christ and loves you just like he loves Jesus. Let me just read you a couple verses from, uh, you say, oh, I don't, I don't really believe what you're saying. Listen to this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints to the saints who are in Ephesus you know what the word saint means holy one you're already a saint you're already holy why because you've been holified you've been sanctified it says it right there in Hebrews 10 he calls them a saint uh, you're saints faithful in Christ Jesus verse 2 is Ephesians 1 grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ listen to this verse 3 of Ephesians 1 just listen Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does it mean to be without blame? It means to be without blame. Faultless blameless that means as you stand before god because of the blood of jesus and he chose this did he not it wasn't like dang it how'd they how'd that guy get in here you know i didn't choose who who died for you you know no he chose you he chose to die for you to make you right with himself and it says that you're standing before god if you put your faith in the lord if you're in christ as if you're in christ holy a saint and blameless without blame without fault you're like, oh God, I just, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. He's like, what? Who are you talking about? All I see is my son or my daughter who I washed with the blood of my son Jesus and made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, how did he do this? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Took, Jesus took our sin in his body and destroyed it, and he gave us his righteousness. Did you see what it said? You, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in Jesus. It's not your righteousness, praise God. You know, it's not your holiness. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our righteousness. And Jesus, living inside of us, the Spirit has made us alive. And that is what has made us holy. But it literally says, you've become righteous. The Bible calls it a crediting, crediting righteousness to our account. That where we had a debt called sin, the debt's been paid. But most Christians think they're at zero. No, 
He's credited his own righteousness to you. Dude, you're living it up. You cannot overdraft this bank account, his bank account of righteousness in you. And one last verse here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. If God doesn't have a consciousness of your sin, why do you? If there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, guilt feelings, shame, condemnation is never from God for the Christian. I don't mean Christian like as a label. I mean because you're in Christ, you put your trust in the all-sufficient blood of Jesus. Guilt feelings, they're never from him. Why would he be sending guilt feelings, condemning thoughts, accusing, I hate you, you're going to hell kind of feelings or thoughts if you're blameless? Where is it coming from? We should probably talk about that. It's coming maybe from our upbringing. Maybe from our own brokenness. Maybe from demonic lies. But it's not coming from God. I just want you to hear that. If you're in Christ, it's not from God. And you are, we are being sanctified. Amen? Like it's an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. But here's the reality. I'll just say it this way. We'll go into it later. You are becoming who you already are. You're simply becoming who you already are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 